Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me in Los Angeles is Nathan Fox. Nathan. Yes. You there? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> you blanked out for a second. You just said Nathan. And I didn't yeah. catch what else you said. <laughs> it was oh. Nathan with a question mark. <laughs> That's your prompt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks for asking well, we me such a it. compelling question at the top of the show. Um, yeah, I'm Well, okay, so what, what are you expecting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do this, we've done this 151 times, apparently, so I we thought you'd know that I'm just curious how you're doing. How are you doing? You know, I am just dandy. Thank you very much. I am excited to be here on the podcast. This is the favorite part of my, my favorite part of the week, uh, always. So, cool. yeah, man, nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. What do we have on the agenda for today? So, yeah, today, uh, just a quick reminder, we have an, an upcoming class in New York City, uh, a follow-up to the July one that we did on August 25th and 26th. It's $395, and it was such a blast. I hope that um, any of you out there can make time in your schedule to come up and join us. It would be really fun to have you. We'll be going over a very recent test and uh, some other things in class in terms of different question types. We got a lot of good feedback on the first one, so it went well, but we have ideas to make it even better. Sign um, up now, and we'll send you some materials so that you can get a little head start on the class. Uh, we're also going to have a visit from one of my former students who's now a junior associate at a big law law firm and just kind of a badass. So if you'd like to meet her, that was, uh, it's a good opportunity to do that as well. Yep, so to sign up, just go to thinkinglsat.com. And you'll find it there in the side notes there. Awesome. We also have an email. Uh, we have a smelly update from the July 2018 LSAT. We'll obviously dig into that and tell you what's going on there. We have some intel from the NYC, the New York City Laws Program. That's the Law Admission Workshop Series. <laughs> Laws. <laughs> Just... There's such a bunch of nerds that that's their acronym. <laughs> it's just hilarious. I bet they're jumping up and down to email everyone about that. Yeah. Uh, we also have Graham Blake coming on the show. Graham Blake is a Canadian LSAT instructor, and uh, we're excited to have him. He's uh, LSATHacks.com, by the way, and he's the moderator of the LSAT forum on Reddit. So Graham's been in the business for a long time, and he's a repeat guest of the show. It's been quite a while since we caught up with Graham. So he is going to help us answer a bunch of questions about uh, Canada stuff and also just chat about the LSAT generally. Yep. So uh, quick updates on the numbers. You can always, uh, by the way, email us at help at thinkinglset.com. Now, uh, here are the numbers. If you have not joined the Facebook group yet or our Facebook group that was started by Annalisa, thank you, Annalisa, as always, uh, it now has 673 members. And wait, what? You're saying that Annalisa posted a meme describing Halo Top as cold hummus. Yeah, and someone immediately chimed in and said that that was an insult to hummus, which I totally agree with. That is an insult to hummus. If you want to learn Damn. about... Yeah, if you want to hear some, some trash talking about... Um, Halo Top. Also, there's still some ongoing taco discussions are happening. Um, we also do have LSAT and law school admissions stuff from time to time on the on the podcast <laughs> group. So please find us on Facebook. Yeah, uh, we now have 29 patrons do donating on Patreon, uh, $159 a month. Thank you very much, as always. We have 271 ratings on iTunes. 
if you haven't joined that fun crowd, hop over to iTunes and give us a, a good rating. It always helps to get the word out. Also, if you are connected in any way, shape, or form to your pre-law society or can become connected, please hook us up with your pre-law society. Let them know about the podcast so that we can talk some sense into them and get them on the straight and narrow. Uh, you can always tweet us at ThinkingLSAT. You can tweet Nathan at NFox, and you can try tweeting me at Olson Benjamin. I am checking it once every blue moon now, so uh, that's been fun. We both offer live classes in our respective cities. I'm at strategyprep.com in Washington, D.C. Nathan is at foxlsat.com in San Francisco and L.A. We both do one-on-one tutoring in, on Skype as well. So there are different ways to get connected with us. And finally, we both together do a joint personal statement review package if you're in the application process. That's we uh, we need your support on iTunes. When you hit the five stars button, it really helps people find us. But if you write a review, that also helps people find us. Um, we need to combat some of the uh, bad reviews that we get. So, Ben, if you'll permit me, can I read one of our bad reviews? Wait, I didn't know that we had that many. Well, we don't have that many. We have mostly very nice reviews. People people love us, and I don't know why, but they, they say really nice things about us. And Yeah, I don't know why. That is a good point. But it, yeah, it, okay. it is heartwarming. I mean, we get like some bad reviews from, you know, like religious people and um, other stuff. But we, but <laughs> some people don't like, some people are all about business, and they just really want us to get down to business. So then they oh, feel they like they Oh, they don't like the chit-chat. Yeah, they're not happy with the free product that they're receiving, so they decide to go and write us a bad review. But we get, we get, <laughs> sometimes we get reviews that sound like this one. This is from... Um, um, Tarsicio, and it was it's very recent. This is from uh, just last month, and it was one star, and the title was not helpful. And here's the specific feedback. The podcast doesn't talk about actually questions on the LSAT. I think that would be helpful if you guys break down the questions so we would be able to get better at the LSAT. Hmm. So that's a one-star review from Tarsicio. Ben, you want Tarsicio? to respond? Yeah, Tarsicio, go back and listen to all 151 episodes, and sometime in that journey you will come across real LSAT questions that we have broken down for you. <laughs> well, what we have done is we have broken down every real LSAT question that we are allowed to by the Law School Admission Council. So Tarsicio here doesn't understand what's going on with the licensing issue that we face. Maybe other new listeners to the show don't really get it, but we can't talk about actual LSAT questions because actual LSAT questions are real licensed content from the Law School Admission Council, and they will sue us if we do. So they did release the June 2007 LSAT and throughout our 150 previous episodes, we have actually covered all of those questions. Did we already do? Did we even do? Now, maybe we have a couple logic games that we haven't talked about yet, but we have talked about all of the logical reasoning and all of the reading comprehension from all uh, from that entire test. So there are at least 75, 76, 77 questions that we have covered. And that's the, that's all of the LR that we can possibly cover publicly. Yeah. So we're doing the best we can y'all. Um, and, uh, I'm I'm not trying to pile on Tarsicio here, but just we, if we could talk about real LSAT questions, we certainly would. Did he give us a one star review? He gave us a one star review and, and the, (laughs) and the title is not the headline of the review is not helpful. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, go to iTunes and uh, push uh, push Tarcicio's, uh review down by uh, writing us a little quick uh, review about what you like about the show. We would really appreciate it, and it would help us um, help us reach new listeners. Cool. Cool. Agenda time. Wait, agenda agenda time. We like already emails. Got, yeah, let's jump into the emails. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to take this first one? Hey. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it says, hey, Nathan and Ben, if you read this on the podcast, please call me Ariel. I'm drinks in post-July LSAT. I don't know how many drinks in. Ariel left that a blank. Yeah. (laughs) Enough drinks that Ariel forgot to tell us how many drinks. (laughs) Certain numbers of drinks in post-July LSAT and wanted to chime in with my two cents about the test. For some context, I got broken up with the day before the test, so I spent Sunday crying on my couch and feeling shitty about myself. For some relevant context, my diagnostic was a 165. I've been studying for about four months, and the average of my last 10 practice tests was about a 173. The breakup sucked, but for all things considered, I don't think the test was too bad. Maybe it helped that I went into it with a, quote, fuck him, fuck you, fuck everything attitude. (laughs) I only ran out of time on one section, the first LR. The RC was about a 7 out of 10 on difficulty, but nothing crazy. The logic games seemed quite manageable, in my opinion. I'm hoping I scored at or around my PT average. Sorry about the breakup, Ariel. That's a bummer. That is and I, I agree. Fuck that guy. You're too smart for him anyway. I'm sure he's a big dummy and you're smart, so you can do better. Um, <clears throat> I took the LSAT at a law school downtown and my proctors and testing site were fine. Except. Wait, sorry. Sorry. I'm going to interject here. Good. So Ariel, you'll, Ariel, you should just go listen to Shout Out to My Ex by Little Mix. I think that would be a good song to enjoy this time. Nice. Song recommendation from Ben. What's that? Yeah. Say that? What is it again? It's it, the title is "Shout Out to My Ex" by Little Mix. Little Mix. Okay, I've never heard it. Oh, it's good. I'm gonna have to check that out. Okay, I took the test at a law school downtown, and my proctors and testing site were fine, except there was a guy in the row in front of me who absolutely reeked. Not only did he already smell like bo, he also took off his shoes when the proctors were passing out the test. Jeez, oh, that's. That's got to be a rule violation. That shit should be a rule. It, one, you shouldn't be able to stink when you're taking the test. And two, you shouldn't be able to take off your shoes. Ridiculous. That's that. Not, neither of those are acceptable behavior. I'm sorry. Um, needless to say, that didn't help the situation when he took off his shoes. Every time he flipped a page or otherwise moved his arms, the smell of unwashed body re-emanated throughout the surrounding five-foot radius. Each time I thought that it was over, that maybe, magically, my nostrils would finally feel at peace, a new wave wafted through the air. It was like awaiting a breeze from an oscillating fan, except the air that met my vicinity was not cool and refreshing, but smelled like a middle school boy's locker room. He also had a 24-pack of sharpened pencils, but still felt the need to sharpen his pencil during each section. Why? Okay, I'm done. Thanks for letting me rant. It was therapeutic. Forgive my grammatical errors. Blame it on the gin and tonics. Let me know if you want updates on my score come August 10th. See ya, 
Ariel. P.S. Come to Chicago. Oh, Thoughts? Chicago. Yeah, that's one of the cities. Chicago is definitely on our list, but the clock's ticking on that because Chicago's a no-go zone from November through like April. Yeah. Yeah. Or November through March for sure. I'm not going to Chicago, but I could go to Chicago. Actually, maybe second half of October is also a no-go zone. So if we're going to go, we have to go like May through September. So maybe that one we are, we put on the list for next, uh, next like spring, early summer, May or June yeah. next okay. year. Sure. I'd yeah, love to go to Chicago. Good. That would be super yeah. fun. All right. So we'll, we got you on the list, Ariel and, uh, come out and, uh, we'll buy you a, uh, a gin and tonic to, uh, well, I'm sure you'll be over this dude by then, but we'll, we'll buy you a gin and tonic <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to chime in with, uh, I went to the movies the other night. I, I saw, okay. uh, sorry to bother you. Oh, and, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, some dude sat next to me and he also smelled like BO super bad. So it was within uh, like 10 hours of that experience that I got this email from Ariel. So I was really feeling her, her pain on the BO issue. Yeah. Hmm. And it was the same way. It was like, I felt it was like, as long as we were still, I didn't have to experience <laughs> any of it. Then this dude would like shift in his seat and his, the bubble around him would burst and in my direction. And I'm sure in all directions around yeah. him. And it was just like, dude, it's, yo, it's hot outside. You need to take a shower like on a Why daily basis. Move? Why didn't I move? Yeah. The theater was like sort of full and I kept thinking it would go away and it just, so I, I really, I should have, I don't know why I did. I thought also I'm like, as much as I'm an asshole on the podcast, I'm like really sort of meek in, in real life. I'm, I just, I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, I don't know. It like felt you like I was directly <laughs> insulting him if I moved. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. Oh man. That's yeah. I, it, okay. Like if I was a better me, you know, like I really do wish I would be the type of person I like, I should just turn to him and just be like, Hey man, I don't know if you know this, but you just really smell like body odor. <laughs> yeah. There is like you could bathe. It's, I don't know why you're not bathing. You shouldn't. Have, you should not be going to this movie right now. You should be in the shower right now. It's mm-hmm. a better use of your time. Um. Anyway, sounds like Ariel did awesome on the test. Fingers crossed for you, Ariel. We hope the best. Yeah, you're gonna get over the breakup. Don't worry about it. You're. You're. It's a whole new. Hey, you were gonna already break up once you went into law school anyway. Yeah. So you got the breakup over with now. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Next one. All right. Yeah. The next one. So hi, Ben and Nathan. Thanks for hosting such a great class in New York city. Well, this is from Leah, by the way, the Leo's the one we mentioned last time who uh, recommended the ice cream shop, but didn't make it. I'm so glad I attended. I highly recommend anyone who will be in the area to go to your next one. I just got back from another law school event and made some observations you might find interesting. On the subway there, I looked forward to all the insight I might gain. After all, this event was held at the headquarters of the New York bar association. Listen, we should say the name of the program again. Oh, yeah. This is the, the Laws program, which is... L-A-W-S, law. Laws. Yeah. Yep. With periods in between each letter. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> law Admission Workshop Series. <laughs> law Admission Workshop Series. And it was at the headquarters of the New York Bar. So apparently it was some like grand surroundings and i read um because madison sent this in as well and Mm. i i read the uh, list of uh who was another student at our um new york city class so thanks madison and leah um 
there were the it was like almost every school in the top 14 was mm. there i believe mm-hmm. uva and um ut were the only two schools in the top 14 that were not on the list okay so it was a very prestigious group of admissions officers from the top law schools in a very prestigious surroundings yes at a conference called laws at a conference called laws so that's how you know (laughs) that it's really official and then neither madison nor leah were super happy about the advice they got so okay anyway we can continue now with leah's email by the way, Leah, your email is very well written. I don't see any mistakes here at all. Yo, she's 20 years old and she worked in like multiple publishing houses. So yeah, she's, she's got, Leah's got some game. Yeah. You got skills. All right. So she continues. Admissions officers from almost all of the top 14 law schools were in attendance. Alas. Oh, she even uses the word alas. That's great. Alas, the advice they gave us was far less inspiring than the marble columns and vaulted ceilings of the venue. Not only was their advice given in language that, at least to me, seemed intentionally vague, much of it seemed to go against much of what you talk about on your show. For one, as you would expect, they claim that law school is almost always a great investment. (laughs) Yeah. When asked about how one should weigh different financial aid officer offers, they trailed off into monologues about how there are lots of a lot of factors that can influence your decision. They're salespeople. They yep. are like a cabal of salespeople. No, no, no. They're lawyers at a very fancy venue. Yeah. Well, there probably are lawyers, <laughs> but they also are fancy. They are also salespeople, and together they are trying to sell a crazy amount of a crazy expensive product. A cart full of shit. Yeah. They, they do not want to talk to you about scholarships. These are, that's not their business. Their business is charging people full price. Yeah. And uh, the truth is if you are a very competitive applicant, they will be giving you scholarship offers to try to snake you away from the other, uh, you know, the other schools. But yeah, if you ask about it, especially in a public forum where they're all sitting there, they're all going to give you the same bullshit line about the value. <laughs> yeah. Surely you wouldn't let something like money influence such an important decision. As <laughs> your law school career. Yeah. All right. She continues, well, that info didn't help me at all. Something they said also sounded like the opposite of what you should do. An admissions representative from the University of Chicago claimed that there is no use reading about the details of each financial aid package because it is, quote, convoluted and dense and varies so much from school to school. <laughs> I, that, that advice is so outrageous when you realize that this is coming from someone who is inviting you to go to law school. Uh, that almost the seems... The mother of the attention to detail, right? That, that, well, that almost seems like illegal in some way yeah don't like read this contract telling someone to not to read the contract can you do that <laughs> does that uh, what yeah we should drag this person before the bar of whatever state they're from <laughs> conveniently they were located in the bar headquarters <laughs> of the state of new york i wonder if so none of these other none of these other fancy pants lawyers and law school admissions folks in the room said, wait a minute now. I mean, you're supposed to be a future lawyer. There's supposed to be some value in these agreements that we reach. And now they're telling you, don't bother reading the details of a contract. Well, they did provide a reason, which may have slightly uh, 
persuaded Leah because she says, is this admissions officer right? <laughs> no, Leah, please don't be tempted by them. One Should one really never read the full details of financial aid offered at an institution? No, we talk about this all the time, right? You need to know what the terms of renewal are because a flashy offer, a high offer that's going to be revoked after a year of law school is so useless. Uh, she continues, there was also a lot of other hedging around the fact that law school costs a ton of money, is a lot of work, and may not lead to a high-paying job you may find funny. I think she funny. meant fun there, yeah. Fun, yeah. yeah. But for the sake of time, I wanted to ask about what I thought was the most questionable remark. When a Georgetown admissions officer was asked if it looks bad to take the LSAT more than once, she looked like she was trying to remember a word in another language. While conceding that you can take the test multiple times, she said that you should treat taking the test as though it is the one, the only time you will do so. Okay. She emphasized that admissions officers can see the scores of every test you take on record. A representative from U Michigan even went so far as to say that you should write an addendum about why you took the test multiple times if you choose to do so. To me, this seems like odd advice. After all, why should they care about why you decided to take the LSAT multiple times? Shouldn't they just admire your dedication? But as she is an admissions officer, and no other representative said anything to suggest otherwise, I feel I should take her advice seriously. Any thoughts? Should everyone who takes the test multiple times really write an addendum about it? If you use this on the show, feel free to use my first name. Thanks for all you do. So what do you think? Um... If someone takes it more than once, should they write an addendum? I think it maybe varies school by school. I think the top, top, top schools, so top 14 and maybe the top you know, five of the top 14, mm-hmm. they might have weirder requirements because they can. Um, okay. <clears throat> but all I know for sure is I've sent people to Harvard who took the test three times and I've sent people to Stanford who took the test three times and so they're clearly not discriminating against people for taking it more than once. Yeah. And I, I remember a very specific example where a student took it twice, scored 168, I think, on the second attempt, or 166 or something. Anyways, was in the process of applying to UVA Law School, which is a, a top school, 7th or 8th or something like that. And um, they said, well... Take it again, and if you do better, we'll we'll consider your application. We'll keep we'll hold it on file, and we'll consider it again. So he took it again, and he got like a one seventy one or something like that, and bam, they let him in. Yeah. So if they do ask you to explain it, we've said this on the show multiple times. If they do ask you to explain it, you can always just say, "I knew I could do better, so I took it again." Yeah. So you fulfilled their requirement. Maybe they just need that satisfaction of knowing. Maybe it's a test that you can only fail, right? You can't pass the test because <laughs> there's there's nothing you're going to say that's going to make it so awesome, but you can say a lot of things that could make it seem really stupid. Like what? You took. Um, I just thought I would try it again and see if I get lucky. No. Uh, and I did. <laughs> pe- people who start coming up with, you know, five excuses for a bad score. I got sick, my grandma died, and, you know, I was really having a hard time and blah, blah, blah. It's... This is a multiple excuse problem. You just seem disoriented. And I guess you can make confused. yourself look pretty stupid if you say, 
I took it the first time with no prep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that would un- unnecessarily be presenting yourself as an ill prepared, you know, just somebody who does like goes off half cocked and does, does dumb things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could probably shoot yourself in the foot by like throwing your, your test preparation under the bus, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I took a terrible Kaplan class or whatever. I mean, that might be true, but I don't really think that that's in, in any point in your favor to say that. Yeah, well, you're blaming someone else for your own failure. How how can they possibly... I knew I could do better, so I took it again. What, are they going to write back and go, that's not good enough? Shame what on do you. you. What do you mean? <laughs> Please clarify. <laughs> Why did you know you could do better... And it's like, well, because I know how hard of a worker I am and I, I knew I could do better if I gave it another shot. My practice oh, And my practice test scores indicated that I could do better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I mean, what it, it's, it's almost, this almost makes me think like if you have multiple scores on record, if there's a slot on the application for anything else you'd like to tell us, you know? like the optional essay, like if you have nothing that you're going to write in one of those optional essay chunks on the application, you could write something like I've heard conflicting advice about whether multiple LSAT scores need to be explained. Mm -hmm. The reason why I have multiple scores on record is that I knew I could do better. So I took it again. Yeah. Period. What do you think about that? Should everybody just be doing that? Just, just to cover your bases. I mean, it's a copy and paste. Like sure. It takes you it takes you ten seconds to write that, as long as it's short and concise, which is the same thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that could possibly hurt you unless you like typoed it or did something really stupid there. <laughs> yeah, why not? If these schools are asking for it, just give it to them. Yeah, I I suppose you could just maybe everybody should just put that into their application. If you have more than one score on record. Just go ahead and type in one of those boxes. Just write the reason why I took the LSAT multiple times is that I could knew is that I knew I could do better, so I took it again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, fine. I mean, that so that's it. it, it these admissions folks. I mean, you got to remember that many of them have been in their position for a million years. Ultimately, all they're trying to do is sell you a super high priced education. They oddly because they're so like in the bubble of their one school, they might actually know less about law school admissions than we do because we send, you know, like hundreds of students to hunt to schools all across the country every single year. Mm -hmm. And these people are just in the weird bubble that they're in, in Ann Arbor or whatever. I I don't know. It's just, I wonder if a lot of it's, they're governed by like tradition or what other people have done around them and not necessarily by logic because what, or are, th- are they really it, curious? Like yeah. Yale's in the room. And if they admit that they're only looking at the highest LSAT score, then the Yale officer might chime in with like, well, here at Yale, we are uh, very competitive applicants. And so we actually seriously consider every one of your scores on record. And so in order to not look like they think they look bad compared to Yale. So then they have to say this nonsense. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. This just seems like yeah. terrible advice. Like we send people to these schools every single year and these, we send students who have taken the LSAT multiple times to every single one of these schools every year. 
Yeah, now sometimes four times or five times. Crazy stuff like that. <laughs> just, it's just so silly. Uh, okay. Thanks, Leah. It was yeah. nice meeting you in class in New York. So. Yep, yep, yep. And we got, so yeah, thanks, Leah. And also thanks, Madison, for chiming in about that forum. Um, it seems as if it was basically a, a waste of time for people who went, unfortunately. I'm not really yeah. shocked about that, but there you go. There you go. Next one. Yep. Says, greetings, Nathan and Ben. Please use my name, which is Max. On behalf of all your listeners, I would like to reiterate our thanks to both of you for the podcast. I just finished taking the June 2018 LSAT, and I feel better about this attempt than I did on my first attempt last September. I have a 168 in the bag, and I have high hopes for this next score when it comes out in three weeks. Oh, so now we're only a month and a little bit of change behind, Ben. Good. We're up, we're up to June now, and it's July 24th <laughs> as we read this. <laughs> All right. Um, as an aside, I also don't understand how it takes three weeks to run a Scantron and scan in a writing sample, but who am I to complain? Yeah, I've been yelling about that for a long time. It's on a bubble sheet. They should be able to score it like in two days. I, I just mm. don't understand. Okay. I applied last cycle to 18 schools and received some interesting offers, including acceptances at GW and BU. I was waitlisted to UCLA and Penn. Due to life circumstances and my performance in the application cycle, I decided to retake the LSAT and reapply for the 2019 cycle. I like my chances for next year with an increased LSAT score, despite my low 3.1 GPA from a STEM major. Here's the rub and the reason for my email. I put a lot of effort into my personal statement and I feel like I quote, put it all out on the table with the topic and life story that I discussed. I would be happy to send you my statement from last year for reference if that would help with your answer or if you would simply like some context. I am under the impression that I should create a new statement or at least substantially change my existing statement when applying to the same schools for this cycle. I am worried that my story has already been told, that my song has been sung, that I have already shot my shot. Okay. What do you recommend for someone in my situation? I'm happy to send a follow-up with richer details of my life, but I was hoping that you could opine as to the general strategy for repeat applications. Thanks, thank you again for everything, Max. I think we can handle that pretty quickly. What do you think, Ben? I think he's thinking too much about his personal statement. If it's really so good, just resubmit it. Yeah, I mean, you if, needs a new one? if new things have happened in your life and you want to update them about that, you know, I mean, it's a year later, you might be a different person now. Sure. Um, you could certainly revisit it. And, you know, documents only get better when you go through them and edit them again. Yeah, so, I can't imagine rereading something now and not thinking a little more deeply about some sentence or some way of, or something that you've said, but anyway, okay. Yeah. So go through it again and think about it, you know, see how you feel about it. And if you're happy with it and it's the statement you want to make, you can make that same statement. They're reading hundreds of these things. All y'all's personal statements all sound the same anyway, in the most cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like they're going to go, Oh, I've heard that before, but that's what, that's how they respond to every personal statement. Yeah. Um, when you apply with a higher LSAT score, you are now a better candidate. Mm -hmm. So the reason why they admitted you, well, they didn't admit you the first time. It's not because of your personal statement. <laughs> they didn't admit you the first time because they didn't like your numbers. Yeah. Now you're reapplying with higher numbers. I, I think, I think you're fine. Mm hmm. So rewrite it if you want. Definitely take a look at the editing and make sure it's perfect. 
but uh, you don't necessarily need to rewrite your whole personal statement just because you've applied before. Next one. Yep. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I am currently enrolled in an LSAT prep course at SMU in Dallas, Texas. I chose this specific course because I attend SMU and I am also taking summer classes. So I thought it would make sense to have both my summer courses and my LSAT prep course held at the same location. I was wrong. I've sat through six excruciating hours of this course where the instructor is teaching us how to outsmart the LSAT. For example, last night we were looking at questions in LR where you were asked to identify the conclusion. Side note, the instructor advised us to always read the question stem first. Boo. Boo. The instructor told us that for these specific questions, we don't even have to read the stimulus. She advised us. She advised us to look for conclusion indicator words in the stimulus, such as hence or thus, and select whatever answer choice matches the words that came after those indicators. Hold up. That's funny because not only is that inadequate or incomplete advice, that is actually bad advice because in conclusion questions, whenever I see a hence or a thus or a therefore, my gut is telling me, <laughs> just based on past anecdotal experience, that those words in main conclusion questions tend to introduce intermediate conclusions. Yeah. Because they're hoping that you pounce all over that, identify that as the main conclusion, when in fact it's just introducing an intermediate conclusion and the main conclusion is at the very beginning of the argument or something like that. So yeah. I'm not saying that as advice to like think that these are always going to introduce intermediate conclusions in main conclusion questions. They don't, but that's a trend. So this is like horrible advice. Well, it's I, I think on easy questions, like uh, questions that you'll find in the first 10, very easy mm -hmm. main conclusion questions, they, yeah. they might put therefore or so sure. or hence or thus right in front of the conclusion and bang, that's the answer. But yeah. um, so this is advice that I think can help you get like to 145. <laughs> <laughs> like Sorry. if you're such a bad reader that you can't read a short paragraph which should honestly take you 20 seconds to read it. If you're mm -hmm. such a bad reader that you can't read that and figure out what the conclusion is, then mm -hmm. maybe this is good advice to, to help you to find the indi keyword indicator word. But yeah, I, I'm sorry, and I've said this a million times and I, I get hate mail and I don't care. If you're trying to get to 145, like if 145 is your ultimate goal, you need to give up on your law school dream. You're, you're just, it's not, that's not for you. Law's, law's not for you with a 145. Not, not that, you know, if you have 145 today and you can get that to 160 or 165, then law's for you. Yeah. But if you're at 130 and like, you're just struggling to try to get to 135 to try to get to 140 and you're going to use some gimmicky strategy like this to try to get yourself to 130 or one, you know, 145. <laughs> and that's your bet. Like the best you're ever going to, cause that's the best you're ever going to do with this bullshit advice. Yeah. And if that's what you're trying to do, then you're just, you're not going to succeed in law school. And I'm painting with a broad brush. Yes. I'm painting with a broad brush. God damn it. Because this is, <laughs> we're reaching thousands of listeners. So on average, you know, and everybody thinks that they're a special snowflake and an exception to this rule. But on average, if you, if like 145 is the best LSAT score you get, you're just not going to be a successful lawyer on average. So yeah, one out of 3000 of you is the exception to that. But <laughs> Most people aren't the exception to that rule. So this type yep. of advice, and I just feel like this is the kind of thing that Kaplan is full of, and this is the kind of thing that these school-specific programs that we hear about all the time, 
where it's just like, oh no, some philosophy professor at SMU decided to teach his own LSAT class. They're yeah. always, gar- they're just always garbage. Like these are people who don't understand the test. Not only that, but so, okay. So it works on a few very easy questions where, by the way, the answer was going to be obvious anyway. If you just yep. read the damn argument, <laughs> it was going to be very obvious what the conclusion was. Not only that, but what if the, the passage, the, the stimulus, what if it doesn't have any of these keywords? Now, what are you going to do? Because sometimes there uh, aren't any of them at all. You could skip that question. You could skip it. Oh, I mean, it's probably... Yeah. yeah. So it's a main conclusion question. You scan it. It doesn't have any keywords. <laughs> and so then you skip the question. And by the way, you're skipping a, just a fucking easy question. Like main conclusion questions are so easy. And now mm-hmm. you're skipping it. Not only that, but as Ben mentions, this could be a trap because the hence or the so or the therefore could be introducing an intermediate conclusion, not the ultimate conclusion, but an intermediate conclusion. So the keyword could just perfectly lead you into exactly the trap and you miss it because of your stupid strategy. Not only that, but there aren't that many main conclusion questions on the test and you need to be able to find the conclusion of every argument, even if it's not a main conclusion question. Yes, and so that's the perfect opportunity to develop that skill, if you haven't developed it already, is in conclusion (laughs) questions. Right. So this strategy is now training people not to understand arguments. Uh, And if you don't understand arguments, then guess what? You're not going to be able to answer strengthen, weaken, necessary assumption, sufficient assumption, (laughs) flaw, uh, strategy of argumentation, role. So just don't don't worry about all the other like 90% of question types. Let's just focus on some stupid gimmick for main conclusion questions mm-hmm. that won't mm-hmm. even work all the time anyway. Like if this was a stupid gimmick that always worked, that would be one thing. But what they did instead was they cherry picked a bunch of easy main conclusion questions that had obvious keywords. Yeah. And now they're showing you like, look, look how easy it is. Uh-huh. Look, <laughs> you don't even have to read this argument. Isn't that a great tip? It just yeah. says hence right in front of the conclusion. That's all you had to do. Yeah. Wow. Here you go. And then it's just like all of these students, poor, you know, they don't know any better. And the students now are just like plunging off the cliff. (laughs) This teacher really just needs to stand up in her next class and say, I'm sorry for anything that I might've said or done, but I'm going to write the thinking LSAT podcast on the board and walk away. Yeah. That's the best thing I can do for you. Yeah. Reconsider your life choices. (laughs) Consider whether you should be actually teaching something that you don't know anything about, right? Thinking else on the board and go get a different job. All right. Yeah. So, uh, we didn't pile on that sentence at all. Let's go on to the next one. In her yeah. words, she stated, it is a waste of valuable time to gain a thorough understanding of the stimulus of a conclusion question. Instead, read for structure paying specific attention to indicator expressions and changes in point of view. What the fuck does that even mean? Don't read it for understanding. Instead, read it for changes in point structure, indicator expressions, and changes in point of view. What the fuck is that? So what she's referring to is when the argument starts out with someone else's point of view and then changes to the author's point of view, you're noting that, but the only way to note that is to read for understanding. <laughs> so, so dumb. It's so much easier to just read it for understanding. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be a lawyer. You're supposed to be the master of these arguments. 
You need to be able to read an argument and understand what the fuck they're trying to prove. It's a critical skill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because uh, the very beginning of this email says, I have sat through six excruciating hours of this course where the instructor is teaching us how to, quote, outsmart the LSAT. I don't have a problem with the phrase outsmart. I think you outsmart the test by owning everything that's said on it and saying, I know what the hell is going on here. Um, but this teacher's definition of outsmart is play cutesy games, look for tips and tricks, and go to the local, like, <laughs> fair and see if you a can bunch win. A bunch of stupid yeah. gimmicks that are not related to actually understanding what you're reading. Mm-hmm. Is that what, be honest with yourself, is that what lawyers do? Read things and don't actually understand what they're reading and just come with some gimmicky bullshit tricks? Do you think that's yeah. what lawyers do? <laughs> God. All right. Let's get done with this thing. Yeah, seriously. I feel like the instructor's strategy for the LSAT is attempting to find loopholes instead of reading and working through the problems. Yes, you're right. I feel like I've wasted money on this course, or maybe I'm just overreacting. No, you're not. I recently purchased a few of Nathan's books, and I've worked through the entire Logic Games playbook, which was has tremendously increased my accuracy in Logic Games. Awesome. Uh, you guys can find that book on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon.com. All my books Nathan are on Amazon. Fox. I've seen more improvement in my score when I self-study than why than when I am in one of these group LSAT courses. I would appreciate any feedback you can provide. Sorry if my email is all over the place. SG. SG, sign up for both of our free classes. Start there. Get Nathan's books and come to our live class in New York City. Ask for a refund from this class. Like, Go tell SMU that this class is garbage and see if you can get your money back. This is like yeah. really terrible advice. Yeah, it is terrible advice. You can and have be very SMU, confident. Yeah, have them call us. Our phone numbers are available on the website. We would love to talk to SMU and tell them why this this class is garbage. That's just yeah. such terrible advice. Yep. Um, okay, well, let's see. We need to get Graham um, so that we can go through these Canada emails. Okay. You about ready to do that? Yep, let's do okay, it. Okay, awesome. This is Graham Blake from LSATHacks.com. And uh, here he is. Yeah, welcome to the show, Graham Blake. Uh, we've had you on the show before. I can't remember how long ago it was, but I'm glad you're back. Uh, for all you listeners out there who don't know Graham, Graham is an LSAT teacher in Canada and uh, an expert of all things Canadian in my mind. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you're here, and we would love it for you to tackle with us some of these emails from our Canadian listeners, or at least listeners who have questions about Canada, so I'm assuming they're from there, and we'll go from there. Now, if you, your your website is LSAC Hacks, right? Graham? LSAT Hacks, LSATHacks.com. What did I say, LSAC? I did that last time, I think. I don't know what's wrong with <laughs> um, Okay, so LSATHacks.com, you can find a lot of free explanations on there, so if you're wishing to connect with Graham after you hear his wonderful advice, then that's where you can find him. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you in terms of connecting with you? Uh, no, that's the main spot. LSATHacks.com. Oh, I'm also the the moderator of the LSAT subreddit on Reddit. So if you're on Reddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash LSAT, uh, okay. you can find me there too. Cool. And where are you uh, recording today? I'm in Montreal at my okay. office. How's summertime in Montreal, Graham? Uh, muggy right now, but generally yeah, pretty right. pleasant. Uh, it's cool. gorgeous. How is it in, uh, are you guys in, are you in 
New York, Nathan, or are you back in San Francisco? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Did you move there? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I've been in LA now for like a few years. Well, it's been a long time since we talked, Graham. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and you're in DC, Ben? How's... I am. Well, just outside of DC, yeah. So. Cool. Well, let's see here. Nathan, where do these emails start? I'm trying to find them because we have this Oh, I'll first. read the first one. It's the, okay. It's the third one down on our agenda. But, okay. Um, so thanks, everybody, who has been writing in help at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, we really appreciate all your emails. Uh, there are many of them, and we're getting through them as quickly as, quickly as we can, but uh, the list is growing every day. Um, we bumped these ones up to the top of the list because they mention Canada, and we thought that Graham would be able to uh, speak about Canadian issues from Canada. Um, so, hey, best we can do. Um, the first one says, Hello, Ben and Nathan. I stumbled across your podcast last May while scouring the internet for any and all LSAT resources I could get my hands on. Like many others, I found the podcast invaluable throughout the application process, both for its educational properties and for keeping me motivated throughout months of studying. I couldn't help but crack open the books every night after spending my end-of-day commute listening to yet another 174 right into the podcast. You guys were definitely one of the main reasons I was able to boost my diagnostic of 159 to a 168 in December, and for that, I thank you. Yeah, this is an old email. Wow. Um, <laughs> sorry. They may no longer now, need this advice. <laughs> brutal. Um, here we go. Now, I know you guys don't claim to be experts on the admissions processes of Canadian schools, but regardless, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on my plan for next year. After many long months of weighing my offers and politely pestering schools for more money, I have finally accepted an offer to attend the University of Windsor this fall. One of the many factors involved in this decision is Windsor's relatively cheap tuition, even for Canada, of $16,000 a year. Now, I know what you're thinking, don't pay for law school, but hear me out. Canadian schools just don't seem to be offering the kinds of scholarships that American schools are. With only 18 law schools in the entire country, it seems that admissions is competitive enough to warrant making people pay. With my 3.5 GPA and 168 LSAT, the best I was offered was $5,000 a year from Windsor. This is the best offer I received from any school, and even when taking into consideration provincial grants that don't have to be repaid, I will still be shouldering about one-third of the total cost of tuition plus living expenses. As much as I'd love to go to law school for free, everything I've read over the past year makes me confident that's just not possible up here, at least with stats like mine. I'm wondering if, for all us Canucks out there, we can make an amendment to the golden rule as it seems... Barring extremely strong stats, a full-ride scholarship just isn't an option. Looking forward to any insights you may have. Thank you guys for everything that you do. If either of you are ever looking for a place to explore in Ontario, come up to my small hometown of Wasaga Beach, just a couple hours north of Toronto, and I'd be more than happy to show you around. P.S. If you do decide to read this on the podcast, feel free to use my first name, which is also Ben. Cool. Thanks for writing in, Ben. Um... So Graham, I don't know if you've been listening to the show at all, but we have uh, been harping on the idea that at least in the United States, you really shouldn't pay for law school uh, because there's so many scholarships available and it's just, you know, you could always just take a step down in the rankings and go to school for free. Is that not uh, not so much a thing in Canada? Yeah, not at all. Um, let me read to you. I'm looking at a tuition chart. Let me read the most expensive law school tuition in Canada. And this is the best one. Uh, that's the University of Toronto, and they're thirty thousand dollars. That's Canadian, so it's probably twenty-two ish, twenty-three ish thousand dollars. 
that's the like absolute worst case scenario. That's the maximum you can pay is 23,000 US. Yeah, that's the maximum. Uh -huh. And then the lowest one, this is McGill in Quebec, that would be about 3,500 US. Um, but then you've got some others like Victoria, which is a school in British Columbia. It's about 7,000 US. So there, it's in order of magnitude less than uh, what you're seeing in the States where you can just get like a punishing debt load if you go to a school without a scholarship. So Canadian schools are like US schools before the US schools started the scholarship arms race. Exactly. And I don't know, do you guys know offhand like the average tuition paid at US schools as opposed to the sticker price? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, oh, do you know it? Is, do you have it? No, no, I don't. It's, it's not oh. too important. I, where I was just going with that was the reason that they've got the scholarship. Like, I think they're targeting an average tuition, probably something similar to what the Canadian schools actually charge. So basically Canadian schools, with the exception of Dalhousie and like maybe a couple, the scholarships just aren't a thing. So it sounds like they have a more rational system up north. Yeah, they are increasing. Like it's gotten more precarious for students now than when it was like five, 10 years ago, but it's definitely a lot more rational and less life destroying. Yeah. I just looked up GW's, uh, my alma mater's, uh, price. It's $58,000. Inhumane. So crazy. But then they're giving, you know, I don't, what's, do you, do you have the 509 right there? Do you see what kind of scholarships are they giving at GW? No, I don't have it right in front of me, but yeah, either way. But the point is, it's a game. You know, you either know the game or you get suckered into it. The mere fact that some people are paying anywhere close to 60 grand is mind boggling. Yeah. And I completely agree with you guys on the US, by the way, that like, I mean, I could imagine maybe a few exceptions at like maybe the very top school levels, but we don't need to get into that. But broadly speaking, I push the same message on Reddit that like people need to look for ROI and raise their LSAT score, get a scholarship, etc. But in Canada, so, oh, so, so go ahead. Well, I was going to, to try to give Ben some advice. Um, can he not just, with, he's got really good numbers. Ben Ben's looking at a, a 168 and a 3.5. I mean, those grades are not awesome, but 3.5 and a 168. There are plenty U.S. law schools that would give him a full ride. Is it not a thing for him to come to the U.S. and just take a full ride somewhere? Okay, yeah, so... You can, but law is very local. Um, you can go from a Canadian school to the U.S., but going the other direction is basically unheard of. Oh, okay. Um, you've got to do some sort of accreditation exam. And you also, like the big barrier in Canadian legal work is that after law school, you have to do something called articling. This doesn't exist at all in the U.S., but it's basically a sort of apprenticeship. And you work with a law firm for about nine months and they, you're doing legal work, but a licensed lawyer will be signing off on all of your work. So you don't bear responsibility if something you do is bad. Um, so it's like a training period and you have to do this. You cannot practice law without it. And it's sort of a cost to firms. So they're not just going to take on articling students for fun. Like, you know, they've got to train and watch this new lawyer. So usually they do it as part of their hiring process. And so there's generally a bit of a shortage of articling positions, especially in a place like Ontario. Even grads from the school they mentioned, Windsor, which is generally considered to be the lowest ranked of the Ontario schools, may have trouble getting articling positions. So if you're coming in from outside of Canada and you're a Canadian, uh, you're not very likely to, to get articling and you have to go through an accreditation process. And generally, I wouldn't recommend it even if it's free. Got it. Um, 
Why can you go? Okay, so it's because of the articling process. That's why you can't go from U.S. to Canada, but you can go from Canada to U.S. because we don't have anything similar. Yeah, there's a few states where people, like even those who studied outside of the state can take the bar or even outside of the country. Like New York is one. I think California is one. So that's why you can go. If you go to, say, University of Toronto or McGill, schools that are generally considered prestigious in America, then you can place fairly well at some of like the big law firms that um, are really just looking for like smart, hardworking people. You probably would do less well at like some small firm that dealt with like New York state or California state law. But if you want to work in big law, generally speaking, that's fine to go from Canada to the US. Um, but like say you wanted to work in, in Ohio, I wouldn't recommend a Canadian school in that case either. Like law's kind of local. Hmm. All right, um, Ben, you want to do the next one? Yeah. Hi, Ben. I'm just listening to the latest episode of the podcast and thought I'd share some info about two of the better Canadian law schools. We don't get regular rankings like in the U.S., hence why I say better. The first part of the email might be relevant to other listeners applying to Canadian schools. The second is specific to my case. Okay, one. One of our top schools in Canada is McGill University. McGill, sorry. Yeah. This is the school that rejected Graham Blake. Oh, yep. Well, this is, okay. <laughs> they did. <laughs> um, I guess you've made this public. Um, yeah, I, I can tell that story later if you want, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we have you here in the flesh. This is great. This is the school that rejected Graham Blake with his 174 for not knowing enough French. Hey, th- oh, this story is all wrong. I'm going to have to tell this story after. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, carry on yeah, with the please. question. Let's fix it. Um, McGill and other good, an, another good school in Canada called the University of Alberta both still average your LSAT scores. Oh, okay. So is that true? They still average your scores huh? as, as opposed to taking your highest one. Let me check University of Alberta. Before the podcast, I checked um, University of Toronto, Osgood, and UBC, and they all take highest. Hmm. Okay. Alberta, I'm not as familiar with. I think generally they used Canadian schools used to average more, and they tend to go for highest now. But mm. let me just look up Alberta here. Uh, multiple LSAT scores averaged is what the official thing says for Alberta. Oh, okay. He goes on, a side note about the University of Alberta, they only consider your GPA and average LSAT. They don't accept personal statements or letters of rec, which are somewhat useless. Anyway, let's see. Let's go on. So number two, the scenario you describe on the podcast where someone's average sucks because they scored low before scoring high is my exact situation. In 2015, I scored a 154 after taking only a weekend course and then a 158 after studying a bit of question stem first seven sage. Then after one session with you and working with your materials, I snipped a 165 in December, 2017. Um, I wasn't studying continuously from 2015 to 2017, just so you know. Okay. I applied to McGill with these LSATs and a 3.53 and was waitlisted in part because my average LSAT only comes out to 159. My average is below the 25th percentile, but my highest is above their 75th percentile. Yeah, that's strange. I'm surprised that they average still. I couldn't take the February test after bombing games in December because McGill wouldn't evaluate my application until they received all of my results. Now that I'm on the wait list, I'm going to take the July test to bump up my average and maybe even the September test too in the likely event I need to reapply in 2019. I'll probably just decline admission if they let me in this cycle and reapply regardless. Okay, thank you. I, um, yeah. 
I'm not sure what the question is here. So where are they applying? Just Alberta or are they considering some other places? I'm not sure I caught that. Uh, I applied to McGill. Um, that's all that we have here. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I'm also not sure of the question, but that did sort of... Uh, I see about four things that are different from the U.S. in what they wrote that might be <coughs> useful to just sort of touch on. Sure. Uh, so one thing, GPA in Canada is more important than the LSAT in admissions. And I don't mean that they weigh it more. I mean just that generally you need a higher GPA, but your LSAT doesn't have to be as high. Okay. So mm-hmm. when you see a thing like, I don't know, 169 and like a 3.5 GPA, that's generally not going to do so well in Canada, but it would do pretty well in the US, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically people want to try like really early on and boost their GPAs if Canada is their their target. Um, as for average LSATs, I would say like most of them are highest, but law school uh, and legal markets in Canada are quite local. So when you're doing applications, you should always check what your local school does, as there may be a few exceptions like Alberta that average. And also, generally speaking, like the reason that U.S. schools are so rigid on LSAT GPA medians is because they're ranked by the U.S. News and World Report. We don't have that in Canada. And so while schools generally care about keeping like a good grade point average and a good LSAT score... They're not rigidly bound by it, and so they might, in some situation, you know, let you in if you have a low LSAT score, but they like you otherwise, or conversely, like, reject you if something seems off, even if they say they take the highest. Like, I don't want to speak too broadly, because if they say highest, then that's probably what they mean, but just they've got a bit more leeway than the U.S. schools do. Hmm. Okay, so any advice for this applicant? He's looking to take the test again, I guess, to increase his average. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say because the two schools they've picked are the two schools at which it seems less likely that a higher LSAT will help because Alberta averages. And in McGill's case, they're a bit of a black box, but the best I've been able to figure out is that the LSAT's more something that can hurt you rather than help you because they've got a high proportion of French applicants at McGill. And so it's not really a fair test to uh, when you're dealing with second language speakers versus native speakers. So they don't require an LSAT. But if you're a native speaker and you've got a low score, then that might make them look otherwise. Like say you had a high GPA, but then you've got a really low LSAT in file. They might think, oh, maybe this person is not as smart as they seem. But a high one, and I can maybe see into my own story from this, a high one won't really help you all that much. Sure. So he said 174, and you're saying you actually had a 177, and yeah, I had, still I had a no one. Go. I yeah. had a 177, and I'm fluent in French. That wasn't the reason they rejected me. Oh, okay. So what's the actual reason? <laughs> I think. Well, you know, I never actually asked them, but I can think of two things. One is that my GPA was 3.67, or three, yeah, 3.67, I think, out of 4.3, which is good, but it's not like exceptional. And McGill, mm-hmm. generally speaking, wants things at a higher level. I think. I also okay. applied right on their application deadline, and I think that actually might make a difference with them. I'm not sure, and if it did at the time, maybe it doesn't now. But those are the two things that uh, that I can think of. I actually got in later as a second-year transfer student from the University of Toronto, um, so the story did have a happy ending. But uh, yeah, they did initially just reject me. Okay. Would you recommend that this person apply to more schools, I guess, then? Yeah, yeah. Um, just McGill and Alberta. I think so. Um, they've got to think about, this is actually the fourth point, that like law school in Canada is very local, so they want to think about where they want to live. If they want to live in Alberta or, or Quebec only, then they're in a bit of trouble. They could maybe get into the University of Ottawa, which does have a, a civil law program that also would let you work in Quebec, 
or they could try one of the um, francophone schools in Quebec if that was a place that they wanted to go. But if you're looking common law, then they might consider a school like Osgood or UBC or University of Toronto, which would place fairly well regionally within probably the West Coast for UBC or Ontario for those two Ontario schools, which do take the highest LSAT. And in that case, mm-hmm. with a higher LSAT score, they could help their application. Got it. Nathan, it's so ridiculous. Want, yeah. I'm just poking fun at, I mean, it's so silly that these schools are averaging LSAT scores. And then, so now look what this applicant is doing, taking the test for a fourth time and maybe potentially a fifth time in order to bump up the average. Yeah. It's just so, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. And, and that <laughs> so could dumb. be, yeah, that could be a mark against them too. Like I would, I would actually recommend that they call the schools that they're interested in and ask like, look, in the case of Alberta, like, can, will this help me? Like, it, was it the LSAT? Is there anything I can do about the LSAT? And for the other schools, they'd want to check that, like, a fourth and a fifth wouldn't in some way prejudice their application. Yeah, for anybody who understands the LSAT, it's like, hey, you got a 154 and a 158 because you weren't really studying or you were studying some stuff that didn't really work for you. Then you got a 165. It's like, well, you're clear, your ability is clearly in the 160s. You just can't fake a 165. I mean, you can get maybe a few points lucky, but it's not like you're going to get eight points lucky. Yeah, no. So, I mean, this dude could continue to just hammer like 160 something after 160 something after 160 something and eventually get an average LSAT score up into the 160s. But like, that's so dumb. I mean, call the admissions office and just be like, is it really worth it for me to do this? Is that really what you want me to do? Yeah. Because that can't be what they want. That'd be so stupid if that's what they want. Call the admissions office is my final advice as well. Figure out what they want. They probably oh. also wouldn't tell you that to take it six times. <laughs> so, so, and they're going to like just, so, I mean, if they're averaging, then they're just going to continue to discriminate against this guy for his 154 that he took back in 2015 with very little prep. Yeah. Uh, makes no sense. As an outweighted penalty. For sure. All right. Yeah. Should we move on to this uh, next one? Yeah, go for it. One more Canada email. Um, And by the way, by a Canada email, I mean it mentioned the word Canada. That's all. (laughs) I I have no idea if it's actually asking about Canada. I just figured while we had you on, Graham, we might as well just bust out all the Canada stuff. Okay. Um, Hey, Nathan and Ben. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I have started studying for the LSAT last month, as well as the podcast uh, oh, I am on the 60th episode at the moment. Okay, so this listener is going to hear this advice two years from now. Let's, okay. <laughs> um, I have started with 143. My past five tests have been between 163 to 167. I have no issue with LG. I finish early most of the times with parentheses, zero to one wrong answers. I have a specific question I struggle with, the rule replacement. My LR is good. I am working on improving it. I usually end up with three to five missed, mostly because I don't finish those sections on time, so I don't count towards my score. Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't do them in the time, so they don't count. Okay. Um, my main issue is RC, where I miss where I miss way more, minus eight to ten, and I miss not only because I don't finish, but I just get them wrong. Is there anything I can do to help it besides practice? One factor may be an issue is that English is my third language. I lived half my life in Russia. I don't feel like that's an issue since I worked 
do well in all written aspects in my classes, but I thought I'd mention it. I mean, here I will mention that this is clearly written by a non-native English speaker. It's just like, it's obvious like you're, you're not a native English speaker. So like you might think that you, you know, like you did awesome in your English language classes in Russia. And that doesn't mean that you write like a native English speaker is going to want you to write. And I'm not shocked that you're having problems in reading comprehension. Anyway, I am planning to do the LSAT in September, and I am aiming for solid high 160 and lower 170s. The specific score doesn't bother me. I am just trying to optimize my skills. The reason I am looking for a higher score is that, one, I am coming from Canada, Toronto. So I'm hoping to come to the US to study, and I'm hoping for a top 30 school with a scholarship to make it worth the move. Two, my GPA leaves to desire the better as I am at 3.3. <laughs> as I started with pre-med and biochem double major and switched into BA in political science and public policy double major with a math minor. So it took me a bit of time to compensate for my 2.8 GPA. I may pull it up a bit in my last year as I am taking a larger course load, but it won't be that significant. I am currently working full-time at a law firm as legal clerk and in school part-time, but the LSAT is my main priority. Again, guys, you were the reason my LSAT has improved so fast. Thank you so much for the podcast. You guys are awesome. Uh, Aliona. P.S. Sorry about the war and peace length email. I am trying to cover my bases. Any advice, guys? Well, it doesn't really sound like a Canada question. It's not a candidate question, but you are an LSAT expert, so you're more than welcome to take the Wait, question so hold anyway. On. One thing here, though, is she is coming from Canada, so she might want to go back, right? And Graham, you just said earlier that that's not really an option. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. That said... If she wants to go back to Canada, which she doesn't really mention. Yeah, there are, yeah. There are two factors here, though. One is that her GPA is low, so she might have trouble studying in Canada, but could possibly get a good U.S. thing. And the second is that she's worked as a paralegal at a firm, which might mean that if she went to the States and like knew a hiring manager at that firm, she could possibly article or work there. Um, so maybe if you know she had that sort of a in that could actually get her an articling position, then it could be okay. Uh, how about for the LSAT? Any recommendations? Particularly reading comp. She's that's what she seems to be struggling with most. English as a third language sucks at reading comp. Yeah, it's kind of a hard one. I mean, I I do recommend people keep a dictionary by their side or an electronic dictionary and just always look stuff up in reading comp in general. And I think if you're a non-native speaker, that's doubly important. There's a lot of words that either you don't know or you just kind of sort of know. And if you look them up and make flashcards, it can help with your reading comprehension. Okay. Nathan? Yeah. Well, I'm worried about her writing. Um, when, you know, this, this email has, I'm not like picking on her, but it has literally 15 things in it that a, that someone like me is going to notice. Mm. And you know, maybe she just dashed this email off in a second and didn't really think about it that much. But it just has, it has like, I got bumped like 15 different times with non-native little stumbles. And 
I'm not saying that that means like she can't make it, but it's just like she's fighting an uphill battle here. If she's going to come to the U.S. and become a gladiator of the English language, um, English is her third language. And so she's just like she's going to have it a little bit tougher than everybody else. Yeah. I, I don't know what I mean. to. I don't I'm not that's not not giving really advice with that. I'm just saying, wow, damn, like that's going to be <laughs> you think there'll be a barrier in in legal work. Well, I would think so. Lawyers are professional writers. So what would you, you know, would you recommend like a language class or I, I would recommend I, I just when I hear people say that they have some science, anything science background, science interest at all, like she was able to cut it as a math minor. Does she really want to be a lawyer? Like for just for God's sake, why? If, if you have the like technical abilities to do. I mean, I get it. She started with pre-med and biochem and then she switched. And so, okay, maybe she's not going to be a physician. But if she has any ability to do anything technical, I just like, for God's sake, why do you want to get into this world? Especially when you're fighting an uphill battle to do it. Yeah, I think that's that's sensible. And I think certainly they should have like a heart to heart talk with one of the lawyers they work with and ask like, you know, like, am I am I cut out for this? Is my English good enough? Um, before going on like a three-year process that may, that may not go anywhere. Yeah. And I like your idea, Graham, of just, you know, the firm that she currently works for, are they going to hire her? Cause if they're not going to hire her, okay, well then who is going to hire, hire you? Mm -hmm. the, the English will get better and better. I mean, my other bit of advice is that she should, be reading and writing in English only for like f from now on, <laughs> just like you, you need to get better at English. And I, I don't think Russian is helping you with that. What do you think her other language is French? I don't know. Speculating. They're in Toronto, right? So it could be, it could be anything. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I do think it's an uphill battle. Um, but some of these, you know, foreign applicants tend to come in and roll their sleeves up and work hard. So if she can do that, where is she? She started with a 143. Where is she at right now? My past five tests between 163 and 167. That's pretty dang good. Was that time, though? Yeah. What was it she said about, like, not including something from time? Oh, I just think she was saying that she missed points mostly because she just didn't get to them. Oh yeah. So yeah, that that's an incredible improvement. Yeah. Well, hmm. Not surprised that she got to be perfect on the games, you know, zero to one wrong on the games. She sorted those ones out. That's no problem for somebody with work ethic. Yeah. But reading comp. Maybe she just needs to go back and do all the reading comp timed sections from the beginning. <laughs> and use it as English training as well as reading comprehension training. Yeah, do all the work. <laughs> work harder. Thank you Whoa. for writing in. <laughs> <laughs> that is the life she's, she's signing up for, if she's signing up for the life of a lawyer. So, I mean, you know, if that sounds, that, that should sound good to her if she's really cut out for this. It should be like, oh, yeah, sure. All you have to do is just go back and do all 84 practice tests worth of reading comprehension. Just do all that. And that'll help. 
And then she should be like, yeah, sweet. Awesome. Yeah. All I got to do is just do one section of reading comprehension a day for the next three months. I mean, it's not that big of a deal compared to a lifetime as a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be good for school. Like, I, I think that reading the reading comprehension section is the one that prepares people most for the actual law school drudgery. So if you can get good at reading that garbage, then maybe you can get good at reading cases and the other garbage you have to read for class. I'm not saying that with any negative connotation. <laughs> In any case, um, well, thanks, Graham. Before we let you go, I wanted to see um, what LSAT advice you're most excited about recently. You know, sometimes we have epiphanies and we start sharing a particular idea more frequently than others. I don't know. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? Sure. I was thinking about how to deal with like the sort of newer, unusual hardware games. Okay. And I started timing myself and I realized that I actually take like more than 12 minutes on them quite often. Mm. That the way that I'm actually doing it is I'm just going extremely fast on the uh, easier games, especially the, the very easiest ones. And I notice sometimes that people will sort of, you know, like they'll try and get themselves down to like, what is it, eight minutes, 45 seconds, or like the exact level of average time you're allotted for a game. And just what I've been thinking about is that maybe people should be thinking differently about how like their time target should be. And they should be aiming to just go really fast on the easier stuff and like not just be satisfied with getting stuff right in order to leave kind of a buffer of time for the new unusual thing where they might have to switch back to a bit more brute forcing. What do you guys think about that? Well, I definitely think that if you're someone who can finish or is close to finishing, then yeah, you're not going to spend the same amount of time on each game. That's crazy. The whole discussion of eight minutes and 45 seconds is based in nothing, right? And people ask me that all the time when they start the class. How much time should I have for this game? How much time? I'm like, well, just get them right. And once you start getting them right, then you could have games that take anywhere from four minutes to 14 because there are definitely games where I sit down and do it and four minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm done. But that's going to depend on the game. Sometimes they're like, oh, is that is that an ordering game? Well, yeah, it probably is, but it doesn't mean all ordering games are that way. They're ordering games that come at the beginning of the, the test and they took me 10 minutes. So, like, huh, I don't know. The whole time thing is tough but yeah you got to go faster on easier games that is something that people do too as well right they they go through a section they complain about the hardest game in the section and they say to themselves if i just figured out how to do this game i'd be fine and no maybe you're not doing the other games as effectively you're not setting them up as well and therefore you're taking longer than you would have to take on them if you had set them up better and that's really what's messing you up which is what you're saying graham not the actual game itself, which may just need more time. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because like, basically I'm saying I don't have like a secret amazing method for the new harder stuff. I just am efficient enough at the rest that it's okay. Nathan? Yeah, no, I, I think that's an awesome tip. I have long hated the idea of eight minutes and 45 seconds per game. I think it's just ridiculous that people ever teach that people should try eight minutes and 45 seconds per game. Um, I've never, I've never done that. You know, the, the famous, I, I don't time myself per game, but I just, I'll never forget the June, 2009 
um, test, the one with the dinosaurs, because I made it through that section in 35 minutes, but I wrote down my time per game. And yeah, it was like three minutes, five minutes, 12 minutes, you know, and then finished. And uh, so people are just like really shooting themselves in the foot if they like, if you think eight minutes and 45 seconds is good for a very easy game, you're wrong. But then if you also, if you think eight minutes and 45 seconds is bad for a really hard game, you're wrong about that too. So then what's the point of eight minutes and 45 seconds per game? And if you have one of those stupid watches that have the four color coded sections on it, and you're trying to stick to that per game, I don't, it's like you're hurting yourself twice. You're hurting yourself in both directions. So that's, it's just silly. All right. Well, Anything else, Graham? No, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Not so long until we, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on more regularly. It's nice to, nice to chat. That was show number 151. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.